Let us pray. O Holy Spirit, come among us this morning. Come as the wind and refresh us. Come as a fire and burn. And come as the dew and renew us. And convict, convert, and move among all of our hearts for our greater good and for your greater glory. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I recently came across a few sayings or proverbs that describe passive-aggressive people pretty well. Let's see what you think. First one is, never judge someone until you walked a mile in their shoes. That way, when you do judge them, you're a mile away and you have their shoes. <laughs> second proverb, second, some people just need a high five in the face with a chair. It's passive aggressive. Third proverb is, some people are like clouds when they're gone. It's a beautiful day. We're quite good at this in the South, you know, where we're kind and pleasant to people in person, but then behind their backs or even eventually to their faces, our true thoughts come out. I heard a story about two Southern Bells that illustrate this well. They were sitting on the veranda a while back, many years ago, and Darlene said to Billy Joe, see the red Cadillac there under the magnolia? Well, my husband, Billy Bob, just handed me the keys one day and said I'd look good in it. It wasn't my birthday, anniversary, or anything. He just did it because he loved me. Billy Joe then replied, how nice. Darlene then said, well, you know, last year you sent me on a 10-day cruise too. Said, here's a few thousand dollars to buy some new clothes. I'm not going to go with you. I just want you to look good. And you can just dance with whomever you want. And Billy Joe responded saying, how nice. Now Darlene pointed out to her four-carat diamond ring, saying, last year Billy Bob just up and gave me this diamond. It wasn't my birthday or anniversary. He just did it because he said I deserve it. And Billy Joe responded again, saying, how nice. Well, finally, Darlene asked the question, well, Billy... Uh, Billy Joe, I've been going on and on about all these things Billy Bob has done for me. Has your husband done anything for you recently? Billy Joe replied, well, yes. Last year he sent me to charm school. And so now instead of saying, up yours all the time, I just say, how nice. <laughs> Passive aggressive. We're so good at it in the South. Notice it a lot on social media these days. You know, some friends that we're friends with are so nice in person, yet when they get on Facebook, they get so aggressive. The reason why I bring this up is because Sarah today in our scripture is a passive-aggressive woman. And it's disturbing to think about what she asks if you just pause. Genesis 21 verse 8 starts out talking about Isaac who was born to Abraham and Sarah in their old age, and apparently as he was growing and was weaned, and on the day Isaac started to eat food, other than his mother's milk, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that her son Isaac was playing or having fun with the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, and Sarah doesn't like it. She gets angry all of a sudden and pulls Abraham aside and says, get rid of that slave woman. 
and her son, for that slave woman's sons will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. You see, Sarah sees Hagar and Ishmael as a threat to herself and Isaac. She doesn't say to their faces. She takes it up with Abraham and demands that he get rid of his firstborn son suddenly, and the woman she allowed Abraham to be with when she would, wasn't getting pregnant herself. And Sarah wants this slave woman, this foreigner who has no rights in Canaan, to be sent away with her young son into the desert to fend for themselves. Most likely they will die. Most likely they will not be welcomed elsewhere. Most likely they will not find work or food, and they will die from dehydration and starvation. And Sarah requests this because she is disturbed that Abraham's firstborn son would share in the inheritance with Abraham's second-born son, Isaac. But Sarah doesn't bring this up with Hagar and try to work something out. Instead, she just goes to Abraham and demands that it be done. That's passive aggressiveness. Genesis continues, And the matter greatly distressed Abraham because it concerned his son. But God said to him, Do not be so distressed about the boy and your maid servant. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. But I will make the son of a maidservant into a nation also, because he is your offspring. So in the end, God takes Sarah's side. He might not agree with Sarah's intentions or the harsh malice behind her words, but God does agree with her objective that she needs to be separated from Hagar and Ishmael. So God says to Abraham, basically, put your feelings aside. Do what Sarah tells you, but I will take care of your son, and I will make his descendants into a nation also. God then said, Genesis then says, early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders and then went off with their son and wandered into the desert of Beersheba. Abraham would never see Hagar and his firstborn son again, according to Genesis. He sends them off with some provisions that he has gathered, puts them on Hagar's shoulders, says goodbye, and Genesis records that he does this without saying a word. Can you imagine how sad Abraham, Hagar, and Ishmael were that day? Can you imagine how many tears they shed? Can you imagine how many times they glanced back to see each other one last time, wondering if they'd ever see each other again? We've seen similar scenes play out here in our country the past few months. Maybe not exactly the same, but similar. I was reading a story by James Kuo, and he was talking about what he was seeing as an internist in the midst of the COVID-19 outbreak in Washington State. He wrote, in the time of the coronavirus, I love you, is what we say often before loneliness and loss instead of before a hug or a kiss. And it's so sad. So a female colleague of mine said, I love you to her newborn baby after she tested positive for the virus and had to self-isolate at home apart from the baby. An emergency room physician I know said, I love you to his family before a breathing tube was inserted into his airway and his co-workers descended upon his body trying to save it. 
I even saw a husband and wife, both ill from the virus, hospitalized in adjacent rooms, say, I love you, as the husband was rolled away to the ICU for ventilation as his condition rapidly worsened. It's probably the last time they saw each other. Those were their final words. James continued, behind the gowns, the masks, the goggles, there are no dry eyes among the nurses, the therapists, the doctors, as they wheeled him down the hall, separating him from his wife. Finally, James said, there was an older woman, her lungs filled with pus and inflammation, struggling to say I love you to her grandsons via video chat. The virus was too contagious for an in-person goodbye. She was breathing hard, visibly distressed. Both her daughter, who's a nurse, and I, James said, asked her if we could increase her medication so that she'd feel more comfortable. But she refused. She wanted to spend more time talking to her grandsons about their homework. I then heard the patient's daughter explaining to her boys that grandma's going to heaven now, and they won't see her again. I walked Closer, James said, to give her a hug, as I've done for other dying patients, but I stopped myself. The simple act of empathy carried too much risk. James concluded by saying, as ICUs here and around the country begin to run out of beds and equipment and staff, these heartbreaking goodbyes are becoming more common. Like Abraham's goodbye to Hagar and Ishmael, our world has experienced so many tears. So much grief, so much heartbreaking sadness. We're not sure if some of our loved ones and neighbors will make it and if we'll ever see them again. Genesis continues, when the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes in the desert saying, uh, because Hagar went off. Hagar then went off and then sat down nearby about a bow shot away for she thought, I cannot watch this boy die. My boy died, and as she sat there, she began to sob. It's one of the saddest scenes in the Bible. It's a heart-wrenching moment. A slave woman, a foreigner, sent off by her master with their son into the desert. They have no more water, no more food, and her mother is so certain that her son is going to die that she places him under a bush and walks away because she can't bear to see it. I don't know if it gets more dire than that. But then Genesis says, God heard the boy crying. God heard the boy crying. And an angel of God called out to Hagar and said, What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up. Take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened Hagar's eyes, and she saw a well of water. She went and filled this, her skin with water, and gave the boy her drink. God was with the boy then as he grew up. He lived in the desert and became an archer. While he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother also got him an Egyptian wife. God heard the boy crying. God's angel showed Hagar a well, a source of life. God promised both of them a future. So even though they lived in the desert, even though they were cast out by Abraham and Sarah, God provided for Abraham's firstborn son. And God cared for this slave woman and gave her skills and fortitude to get a job and pick out an Egyptian wife for her son. And God ended up providing Ishmael 12 sons, according to Genesis 25, and turned his descendants into a great nation. So, so 
I wonder if we listen to the cries of outcasts like Hagar and Ishmael as well, like God does. I wonder if we see them. I wonder if we care about lifting them up and pointing them towards sources of life. I remember when, it was about six and a half years ago when Operation Inasmuch here in town began to make a push to build a men's homeless shelter in downtown Fayetteville, and the first thing they needed to do was raise some money. So they asked a few churches, they started their own campaign, but they then asked a few churches to partner with them, and one of them was Haymount United Methodist, where I formerly was the associate pastor. And the senior pastor jumped at the idea of helping them, and he thought the church could raise $100,000. So the campaign started in the beginning of 2014, and I remember when it started, a couple people in the congregation did a mission moment, one of them being the former senior minister of the church. And he said something like, you know, I've been praying for this to happen in Fayetteville for years. Every cold night I get in my bed and I think about all the homeless I've seen recently and I, and I pray that they might make it through the night. I pray that God would help them. I pray that God would keep them warm with a blanket or a sleeping bag they can wrap themselves in. And I pray that a shelter might come for them soon. And when he said that, it convicted me. For I remembered praying just a few weeks ago on a really cold night when I got into bed. Thank you, God, for this warm bed. Thank you, God, for this warm apartment. Thank you, God, for providing for me. And I hadn't even thought about the homeless. And I realized then and there that this retired minister was much more spiritually mature and holy than me, and I could learn a thing or two from him. For if we connect it to our scripture, Hagar is the unchosen woman whose story connects with so many other outcasts throughout the centuries. She is the faithful maid or the faithful servant exploited. She is the slave abused by the man or used by the female master. She's the other woman who is a never gets the man or the expelled wife or the divorced husband or the single mother with a child or the poor immigrant who never asks for help, the shopping bag lady with bread or water, the homeless man begging for change on the side of the road. She's the insecure female who never speaks up for herself and only serves others. Hagar and Ishmael represent all of these outcasts throughout the centuries. But despite these folks never being chosen, Despite them almost always being ignored and almost always being rejected, God still listens to them. God still sees them. God still takes care of them. And the question is, will we? For Genesis says, God heard the boy crying. God opened Hagar's eyes and pointed her to an oasis or a well of water in the desert. And so she went and filled the skin with water she had and gave her boy a drink. Will we do the same? I remember we were nearing the end of the fundraising campaign for that homeless shelter. After about six months, the congregation had raised about $70,000, which is really good. I mean, not many churches could do that. But my senior pastor really wanted to get to 100, so he made about a five-minute presentation at all three worship services one Sunday morning. And at the last worship service, there was a regular faithful family sitting on about the third row on the right side of the pulpit. They always sat there. And, the, um, there was, they, they, and they had recently sold their fast food franchises for millions of dollars. And the grandfather 
Um, they were really nice, both were really nice. They took me out to lunch often. They didn't want me to eat alone. They enjoyed the rest of the people there. Always encouraging and positive about the church. They loved church, uh, Haymount, and were very affectionate for Jesus. And when Dennis was making his presentation at the 11 o'clock service, I came off the stage and sat down next to them just to say hi, catch up a little bit. And about a minute in, the grandfather saw how much the congregation had raised, how far we were short. He then ripped off the corner of the, of the pew pad, wrote something on it, folded it, and told his son, daughter-in-law, and grandkids to pass it down the road to me. And I turned and saw this note coming to me, and I, and I thought to myself, am I still in the third grade or something here? This is... I then received the note, opened it up, and read the words, my wife and I will make up the difference, all 30,000. And I was just amazed. I was touched. Now, you might say, well, if I was a millionaire, I could give that much too. Well, would you really? I mean, how much do you give to the homeless now? You'd probably give the same percentage then. Our character is just revealed with greater wealth. And I bet few of us would be willing to spend 30000 on a shelter for the homeless. But that's what that couple did. And they had told me before that their hearts break for the poor. They don't want to let, have anyone left out in the cold. They were so proud that churches were stepping up to fund this shelter. For everyone deserves a second chance. Everyone is seen by God. Everyone is loved by Jesus. And we're called to be the hands and feet of Jesus. So this shelter needs to be built. And we're honored that we could support it. God sees the Hagars and Ishmaels of our world. God hears their cries for help. God opens their eyes so that they might go to sources of life just ahead in the distance. The question is, will we be a source of life? And will we also listen to the cries of the unchosen, the unloved, and the outcasts of our world? God chose Abraham, Isaac, and their descendants so that all the families of the earth might be blessed through them, according to Genesis 12. And God chooses us as Christians, their descendants, to do the same. Let us pray. O oh Lord, open our eyes and open our ears every day, so that we might see and hear the Hagars and Ishmaels in our midst and be a source of life and blessing to them just as you already are. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.